Thank you for joining us today for TEDCO Talks, a new series featuring thought leaders in economic development from across the state of Maryland. Join TEDCO CEO, Troy Lamel Stovall, in thought-provoking conversations with regional leaders about the future of Maryland's innovation ecosystem. In this episode, Troy is joined by President Daryl Pines of the University of Maryland College Park. Listen now to learn more about President Pines and the role he plays in supporting Maryland and DC's entrepreneurial ecosystem. Greetings. Thanks again for listening to another session of TEDCO Talks. My name is Troy Lamel Stovall. I'm the CEO of TEDCO, Maryland's hub for entrepreneurship and innovation. I look, um, I've had a lot of great guests on our show today. Um, they've done fabulous things for the state of Maryland and, 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 the, and the ecosystem at large. But he, this is our first one where I can say we have a relationship that goes back to 1986. Many of you know that I, I, was, uh, uh, I came up through NSBE, the National Society of Black Engineers, very proud of that organization. Met my wife, most of my friends through NSBE. Um, Dr. Pines is, is, is uh, again, Dr. Daryl Pines, who was the fairly new president of the University of Maryland at College Park, also came up through Nesby, and he and I connected. Uh, there's probably a picture that's come up now that shows uh, an award that was given out at that time called the GE Latimer Award from General Electric. Uh, a guy named Mike Shin, who's just an amazing individual, is, is in the picture on the, on, the, on the far right. And if you look there, that real tall, good-looking gentleman is Dr. Pines, and the guy two down is a young version of me, and that is me. And so, uh, Dr. Pines, thank you for joining us on Techco Talks today. It's my pleasure to join you, Troy, and to reconnect after what? I don't even know how many years. Is that 35 years, I think? Something like uh, that? <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been a minute, man. And, you know, and, and just one last thing on Nesbitt, what I love about the, that generation of Nesbitt, because it's still obviously still going on, is when I look around the country and see how many of folks from our generation are, are college presidents and deans and, and, and or, or leading organizations, just, it's just an amazing testament, uh, not just to us as engineers, but these, these, these Black engineers who study science and technology and have used that as a lever to these leadership positions. Absolutely. I totally agree. Totally agree. So why don't we start with just a little bit of fun, um, just a little bit of fun, just so we can, you know, uh, so folks can get to know you a little bit better. Um, why don't we talk about your favorite vacation spot? Outer Banks, North Outer Carolina. Banks. Yeah. I love that place. Love that place. Um, favorite movie growing up? You know, um, I have a lot of favorite movies, but one that I always remember is just because of my graduate time at MIT is Good Will Hunting. Oh, man. And it brings back so many memories and it's so actually realistic um, because you had those kinds of individuals like uh, Will who yeah. could solve complex math problems and it, you know they turned it into a movie. And I felt that that was absolutely true while I was at MIT. I can see that. I can see that connection. First car. <laughs> First car. <laughs> Um, a Honda Accord that cost me $250 that was used <laughs> was in Boston. And the funny story about that car was I, for many, many years, I would ride my bike to graduate school. Then I decided with a couple of years ago, I would buy this Honda Accord from a friend who was leaving, another grad student was leaving, which is what mm. you always do. And then literally uh, two months later, I'm driving in early to work in Boston and someone runs a red light and the car is totaled after like a couple of months. <laughs> so that's the funny story about my first car. <laughs> that is a good story. First concert. Ooh, 
Oh my goodness. Uh now you're really going back. Yeah, 13 well, years of uh, and this this is really dating all you and I. 13 years of age. And I and, and I grew up in Oakland, California, and mm-hmm. um and I went to go see the Parliament Mothership come Mothership. at the Oakland yes. Coliseum. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen the, the at the uh, at the African American Museum the, the mothership up on the third floor. Yes, First uh, time I saw that, I just freaked out. I said, "Oh my God, look at this! This is, it is funny." <laughs> <laughs> All right, my last one. Best student-led organization focused on making Black folks study science and engineering. Simple answer: NSBE. <laughs> there you go. Well, look, look, man. Uh, look, there's so many places you and I can take our conversation today, and and, and uh, I. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. You've been up, coming up on a year, your year anniversary yep. Yep. Of, of, of being actually in place. I know you announced before that, but actually taking on the, the helm. But why don't we even go back to the point of history? Um, it's always, I think, good for folks to see someone. You grew up in Oakland, went to Berkeley, then went to MIT and you know been a professor in a number of places, a dean for a number of years there at College Park before becoming the president. So elements of your journey you think you want, particularly again, a young black engineer, that's, that's, that's thinking about or struggling, part of your journey where there was a crossroad, there was a moment in time where, you know, Daryl Pines says, you know what, the light bulb went on and, and helping somebody who maybe is struggling, could be right there at College Park, you know, that's, that's struggling with, you know, how do I get through this journey and how do I get to, you know, beyond where I'm at right now? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, we all have mentors yeah. and, um, and they help you think about your future when you're very young or not really sure. Um, you know, many of us came up and, you know, we, the first step was to get a college education. And for many of us, we were the first in our family. Um, and lots of people help us get to that point. Um, and since we don't have a roadmap because no one in your family has a background of having gone to college, you know, you tend to associate yourself with someone who can, maybe a, an older person, who can provide you some guidance. I was fortunate when I went to UC Berkeley, lots of people helped me. We had a minority engineering program. I had uh, Gary May was uh, uh, older than me, uh, another National Society of Black Engineer. Actually, he was ahead of me. I don't think he was that much older than me, but he was like two years ahead of me. Um, So could always serve as advice uh, as a graduate student. And then, um, but I ran into a, a professor who would be a mentor for me for my entire life, which was uh, Professor Dan Moat. And Dan Moat was a mechanical engineering professor at Berkeley. He was my academic advisor, so signed my paperwork for registration. And, and just, I want you to imagine you're 17 years of age and you run into someone and then, you know, 30 years later, you happen to run into the person again who oh, becomes yeah. the president of the University of Maryland. Yeah. Um, so for a lifetime there, I've had a person who had an interest in my advancement, both as a human being, as an engineer, and could provide me guidance as a mentor for so many years. Um, that's a special thing that happens to very few people. And um, so I'm very grateful to Dr. Moat um, for ha- helping me navigate the academy all these years. And I, I have to ask, Dr. Moat, white or black? Uh, he's white. So and I, he, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so he, um, you know, and he totally had different experiences than I did, but he, what he wanted to do in his way of giving back uh, as a professor, he, I actually went to Berkeley high school as well. He would come down to Berkeley high school. That's how I first met him. Actually, he would come down to Berkeley high school 
and talk about going to college to black and brown students at Berkeley High School. And I was in one of those meetings. And um, I, I never thought that I would, you know, first of all, get into Berkeley, and then he would become my academic advisor, just a total coincidence. And so, um, so it's been a, a, you know, a great journey of um, mentorship, uh, as well as uh, a collaborator, um, someone you can bounce ideas off of, and someone who has, you know, really followed my career and helped me in my career my entire life. And the funny thing about it is that now I'm his boss uh, because he's a professor emeritus here on this campus. So that is that's, funny. That is a great funny funny story. That is a great story. But I, I want to for, for folks to, to to really get a sense of that and and how they could use it because. Uh, you didn't say this, but I'm, uh, I'm gonna say something. Tell me if I'm reading this correctly. There, you had to trust him, and you and he had to trust you, and there had to be a sense of vulnerability, particularly as a 17 year old meeting. You know, this 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 this, this gentleman. You know, that, that obviously was an age difference, but you know how you navigated both the age difference, the cultural difference, um, and 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 someone that you know you get how you built that trust, and I think that's part of what I'd like for some of our folks to see, how you how you built that and how you built that trust in you. Sure. Yeah. I, well, you know, first thing is, is that he, he believed in me. Right. So he would constantly, uh, you know, be the person who would say, you know, you can do all of this. This is all possible. Everything is possible. So, you know, firstly, instilling a sense of confidence. So that just that constant reassurance was building trust. I was building trust in him because he always had my, um, you know, was thinking about me and my the best me I could be. Mm, then, then like one that. day, you know, I was a junior and he invited me into his lab. Uh, I'd never seen research before at that time. And he invited me to his lab and um, and he showed me what they were working on, which I was just totally intellectually intrigued by what they were. I'll tell you what they were working on. So as an engineer, Troy, uh, from your own background, they were working on at the time designing new skis, K2 skis with the right mechanics and vibration for slopes. And they had various designs and they were testing the mechanics of those. And I was watching this grad student do that. And then the other thing they were doing, because for some reason, Dr. Moat was very interested in mechanics and dynamics and the mechanic, and he loved the ski. So he took his interest in skiing, <laughs> tied it to his mechanical engineering and had his grad students work on these complex problems. And the other problem was um, sort of the pulley system that takes you, uh, that conveys people to the top of a mountaintop. Yep. Um, they were having some instabilities in the cable system. And they had this whole contraption in his lab where they were uh, deploying this cable and they can, you could see the cable go unstable and jump off the actual supports. And they were changing the distance between the, 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 the supports to show these different dynamics that you needed to be at this speed and at this length. And it helped you know, real systems in the real world actually be able to do that um, uh, for slopes uh, and for ski resorts. So I found all of this fascinating. Yeah. And that's how I decided that I would think would consider going to graduate school. You know, in the future. So that's cool. That is a great story. That's a great story, Daryl. So, look, you know, many folks um, know about our great universities in this country through athletics. They they know, you know, different schools. But won't you give folks a sense of University of Maryland College Park, the, the richness of it, uh, the beauty of it, and 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 kind of what you want people to know about uh, College Park? Well, you know, the University of Maryland is uh, as it was created, and many universities like ours were created in the mid eighteen hundreds is what is called a land-grant flagship uh, university whose mission is to do excellent teaching, research, and service. The university is about educating students and advancing knowledge in areas of importance to the state, the nation, and the world. 
And then the university is committed to being a preeminent national center for research and graduate education and an institution of choice for Marylanders because we're funded by the state of Maryland. Um, so we have a responsibility. Um, we have students from 50 states uh, of the United States, 100 different countries. We have, just as background of great people who have come from our institution, we've had two Nobel laureates, three Pulitzer Prize winners, two MacArthur Fellows, and we currently have 60 active members of the National Academies. Um, we have built and developed an innovation ecosystem because we are an engine of innovation, entrepreneurship, and economic development for the state of Maryland and for the nation. And, um, you know, higher education is still very important. It is something that helps folks get uh, skills and knowledge to go and off on journeys and careers across all kinds of subjects. But in addition, it is that entity that even the state goes to, as in the, in the case of COVID, to seek out experts in public health to give them guidance on decision-making or to give guidance on transportation issues. Um, we have a cadre of great outstanding leaders in their field, which provide guidance and advice to our state leaders. So we are a valued asset of the state of Maryland. So this folks understand, this is a great, folks understand what a land grant is. So people may not understand what a land grant institution really does. And you wanna spend a little bit of time telling what a land grant does? So a land grant back in um, the Morrill Act of um, the early 1850s was uh, created um, to essentially all across the United States to help uh, develop skills in agricultural technology. That actually was the main focus of land grant institutions. So it was to essentially um, help develop farms across their given states and give um, the state citizens the skills to, to mine that farm, to go in that farm and develop crops. And as they, and that still is true today. So the land grant mission was basically primarily based on agriculture. And even today, most of the land grant institutions like ours have agriculture research extensions in literally every county in the state of Maryland. And that is really still to help develop those technologies that will advance uh, agriculture and food research. And it's still going on today much more automated and much, and now even using artificial intelligence. Exactly. Um, but it, that's how we were all started. And because of that sort of technology slant, we all tend to have really strong, um, even though we're comprehensive universities, very strong STEM disciplines on our campus because of the land grant original founding principles. And so, uh, so that's kind of what a land grant institution does, but it's a comprehensive university. We have arts and humanities, we have social sciences, we have public health. Um, and a whole bunch of disciplines to help support the ecosystem of the state's agenda. So you said a couple of times you worked towards ecosystem and research and, and, and entrepreneurship. So that's the tie to Ted Cup, right? And so I, I can't thank the, the top, your, all your faculty and staff and students there who have contributed to the ecosystem and the work you've done with Tedco. But let's be specifically, we want to talk about the Maryland Innovation Initiative. Yeah. Uh, or MII, as it's called, which is uh, Tedco's. Uh, collaboration with our five research institutions, people that aren't in Maryland that are listening to this. We have five uh, tier one research institutions here in the state of Maryland, Maryland College Park being one of them, others being Johns Hopkins, uh, Morgan State, University of Maryland College, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and University of Maryland, uh, Baltimore. And so uh, it's a great effort. So I just I want to kind of lead that up to allow Dr. Pines to talk about this collaboration we have uh, around Maryland Innovation Initiative. 
Well, we're, we're grateful to be a partner with TECO on the MII program. It's an opportunity for people who are uh, at the University of Maryland to work with TEDCO to take their ideas that are nascent initially when it's when they're working here at the university. It could be a concept, it could be a design, it could be a device, it could be a product, um, it could be an app. But often, you know, in a university like ours, we have really incredible people who come up with incredible ideas. And that's true across all our sister campuses here in the state as well. And we needed a mechanism that TEDCO has provided, which is the Maryland Innovation Initiative, which allows entrepreneurs who have an idea to maybe refine that idea by uh, proposing uh, uh, the idea through the Maryland Innovation in Initiative and allows them to get some resources mm -hmm. to mature that idea, that app, that product, and get it to a level where they can do maybe a valuation of that idea. And then maybe turn that idea into a sellable product to the consumer. And that builds the ecosystem of entrepreneurship as well as economic development. As the firm or the idea becomes more mature, it may go to the next level and take private capital um, for it to be uh, further refined and to make it a um, positive revenue generating uh, product or device or idea of whatever kind it could be. So it's a partnership. Uh, the idea comes from our faculty, staff, and students, and they are enabled by TEDCO's program of the MII to take it to the next level. Absolutely, and we've been grateful, obviously, for for the what's happening at the University of Maryland, uh, all all the other campuses as well. But uh, it's been a successful program. We're looking to expand it. Quite honestly, I mean, that's that, frankly, that's if there's someone out there listening in, in Annapolis, we we think it really has shown uh, a tremendous benefit. We actually just we we're doing a round right now. We actually have you probably don't know this. We have more applications this round than we ever had. Yeah, uh, and so there's just, they're just a testament to, 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 the, to the level of, of innovation uh, and opportunities that we have here in the state of Maryland. So I'm, I couldn't be excited, but I, I know you want to talk about this one thing, so I'm, I'm going to make sure I bring it up. Uh, starts with a Q. Um, uh, <laughs> starts with a Q. I know you, I, I, it's going to be like, what are you going to bring it up? Uh, but no, I'm, I'm excited about this. This is, um, again, I, I don't want to take too much because I want him, this, this, this area of quantum computing, is really is the future as, as, a, as an engineer, electrical engineer, computer scientist by training. Uh, it really is, a, you know, we've we've seen so much of this in, in, in the Star Trek and the Star Wars where they've had these amazing computing resources, you know, in these in these sci-fi pictures. Uh, very much like I talked about with the Jetsons, you know, go back and look at the Jetsons cartoons. A lot of that technology we have today. And yeah. so when you start talking about quantum, there's a whole different conversation. As I told people, if you think about quantum, it makes computers today look like an abacus when you, if you really get quantum to where we're gonna get. So I know you got some great exciting news to tell us about your quantum efforts there at the uh, University of Maryland. Yeah, thank you, Troy, for, for mentioning uh, one of my favorite topics, as you said. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, so, so Troy kind of teed it off really well. Um, if you think about the history of computing, which is still a rather, relatively young field, um, you may have all, if you're as old as Troy and I, you were um, using punch cards um, to actually put forward your computer program. But I'm so, some of them, you don't even understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> I understand that. Um, but there was something called a mainframe, and it was typically either an IBM computer or some other brand back in the day. And we had to use things that were called punch cards as a way to write our programs and have lines of code created to run on these IBM mainframes and other mainframes. Well, I give you that background because where we are today in this field of quantum computing and quantum technology and quantum information 
is analogous to the mainframe. That's kind of where we are. We're at the embryonic stages of the technology. It is not fully mature yet, but already the potential is increasing day to day. So at the University of Maryland, we've had the unique opportunity of over 20 to 25 years of state investment and collaborations with partners such as NIST and others and Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman, other uh, private entities to help advance this topic and, the, and this technology. And what it has led to is that these collaborations and the investments from the state of Maryland and the investments in the innovation ecosystem as well has allowed the University of Maryland to have a spin out come out of its research on quantum science in a particular enabling technology area, which is called ion traps to allow for the first per play quantum computing firm to go public in the United States and in the world. And that firm is called INQ and the research uh, that it that it enabled it is, is deeply entwined with something called ion traps, which really will uh, lead to a scalable quantum computer that will essentially be the fastest uh, computational computer in the history of humankind. And so that has come right out of College Park and the startup INQ is right here in College Park as a result of numerous investments, as well as leveraging the kinds of investments that TEDCO does with the MII program to allow, again, entrepreneurs to take an idea, commercialize it, and then turn it into a positive revenue generating product. We are right in that uh, stage right now where we haven't generated positive revenue for this particular product, but hopefully down the road in the next six to 12 months, it will happen. So it's an exciting opportunity because the state could become one of the leaders in quantum information, quantum computing, quantum devices, quantum yep. sensors. Yep. And it's all because of years and years of investment and because we've created in our state this wonderful ecosystem. Yeah, and, and you know, when if, to give people a sense of, of, of what could happen is one of the examples, if you one of the examples I talk about is if you if you marry up quantum, let's say, with with like life sciences or bio. If y'all, yeah. if we think you you got that vaccine fast with, with with right now, with quantum, it'll have the vaccine before you even know there's a disease out there. Right. I mean that that's the that's the mind. You gotta if you can wrap your mind around the type of computing that Dr. Pines is talking about, it really is. Uh, there's just a step function increase difference here. This isn't just kind of a linear trajectory. This there is really a a, 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 a fundamental shift in the computing capabilities we're talking about here. Yeah, and Joey, I just want to just reiterate your point. I want people to understand, and this is probably the first time that people have, for the first time, you know, because they've all been mirrored in COVID and <laughs> testing and vaccines, that they might, for the first time, understand the importance of investments in science. Yeah. And so the vaccines didn't turn around in just one year that, you know, we had the virus and then all of a sudden it appeared with the vaccine that was available. It's because researchers had invested for 20 years, 20 years in something called messenger RNA proteins, yep. which are proteins that are being inserted through Moderna and Pfizer into your bodies. But this framework was invested in terms of basic research and science for over 20 years so that when this virus came around, it was prime and ready for the next step of development and commercialization to turn it into a vaccine. So it looked like it happened in 12 to you know, 12 months, but it actually took 20 years to get there. And we were just lucky that it was available to us 
to scale and to get to where we are now, a very safe environment with mm -hmm. most of us having have been vaccinated. And, and the same is true for quantum. 20 years of investments have led us to be positioned, the state of Maryland, the University of Maryland, and our technology ecosystem to be the receiver of this incredible opportunity to both grow this, this technology, create jobs in the state of Maryland, and provide useful solutions for society. You just mentioned uh, a, a word jobs and it's tied to, I know if, if, if quantum is your, your 1A favorite subject, what I'm about to bring is 1B, uh, and that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. Um, and and look, you, you we, we kind of led this this conversation off with how we kind of matured and grew up through through uh, Nesby and, and, and the role that Nesby played in helping us uh, grow ourselves and grow a cadre of black blacks who came into the space. And, and I know like you and I, we both I know you have brought others into the space and people like a Gary may have brought others into this space, but for would not have. And so as you talk about the quantum and all these other great technologies that come in at the end of the day, we got to have workers. Uh, and those workers, you know, got to represent, I know I'm preaching a little bit, but they, they got to represent Maryland and that. And you clearly at, at College Park do a great job of graduating black computer scientists. Uh, but I, I know you've got some specific efforts that you really want to focus on around how do you think about this uh, fundamentally going forward within your presidency? Yeah, well, well, thank you, Troy, again. So when I became president, as you know, last year on July 1st, um, I kind of, you know, and, and, and we were not just going through the virus as a pandemic, and I've used this terminology with you before, is that we were having multiple pandemics, mm -hmm. right? So we were dealing with the virus plus the virus of social uh, uh, racial injustice yep. uh, and uncertainty in our election system. Um, I call them three pandemics all, almost simultaneously in one year. Um, and so coming into office, I realized that I wanted to send a message to our campus community, our broader community, that the University of Maryland would be an exemplar above and better than what was happening in normal society, that we could do better and so the two high ideals and high priorities that I had was number one, that the University of Maryland would be excellent in everything that we do from the arts mm -hmm. to athletics, to academics and to innovation and entrepreneurship. And number two, that we would create a more inclusive multicultural environment for all to be successful. And I really meant that. And I even meant that as it related to innovation and entrepreneurship. And so we've been part of a larger Greater Washington Partnership, which I'm sure Troy, you are mu very much aware of, and it has two goals. And the second goal is the only one I'm gonna refer to, which is a goal of inclusive growth. And that really means helping those citizens in your local region, in this case, the Washington, Baltimore, Wa Greater Washington, Baltimore, Washington, uh, 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 you know, sort of region, and help those uh, existing businesses that are on Main Street, while you're also trying to help those businesses on technology way. Yep. And those businesses on Main Street, especially in, a, in the county that we live in, are mm -hmm. often some underserved, served, underserved populations and underrepresented minority populations, and they needed some help during both COVID and post-COVID. So we've made it a, uh, a very high priority that we, the University of Maryland, are going to provide services to help the small business owners stay afloat and thrive. That's number one. Number two, that we're gonna expand our innovation and entrepreneurship ecosystem to help also county students um, become future entrepreneurs in the K-12 school system. So we're working with Prince George's County uh, Public School CEO, Dr. Monica Golson on a number of 
topics and ideas that we could pursue in collaboration. Number three, at the University of Maryland College Park, that we wanted to also do something to improve the culture and climate on campus. And first, we wanted everyone to feel that they could reach their full potential. So we are launching this fall an onboarding program, which we're calling Terrapin Strong, to help build a better community for everyone where everyone can be successful. And then the finally, I wanted to show it at all levels, not just at the student level, but we also needed to grow the faculty diversity. And I launched a $40 million uh, faculty diversity program, which I'm calling the family program, which stands for faculty advancement at Maryland um, for inclusive learning and excellence. And uh, instead of having the Y on the end, it has an E on the end instead of the word family. Um, I couldn't find a good acronym for why. And so <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. So, you sound like me with two words. <laughs> and so uh, we, we've already had success there. We've already um, found uh, made offers to 10 or 12 faculty. Um, and we hope to hire 100 new diverse faculty across the university and all areas of interest where there's a dearth in the representation of, of excellence in those uh, particular units. So we're very excited about that. So we mean it at every level, and we mean, and I said at the outset that we intend to be a greater representation that's better than normal society, and we should that. have that. Yep. Yeah. No, I love it, man. How do you, how do you, or how are you thinking about? You know, part of my my observation is that part of the challenge, one of the many challenges we have right now, is we're just not talking, have the platform to talk to one another. And, and have honest conversations with one another. So how are you thinking about that for the college? Because you know, not everybody, let's be honest, not everybody sees the value of diversity. Not everybody sees the value of, of, of this, this whole diversity effort. So how do you have that conversation so that all voices can be heard and be respected in that conversation? Yeah, you know, so I like to use the math equation. And I know okay, of course, of course you right? do. <laughs> so, so, so I always, you know, I start these diversity, equity and inclusion conversations like this. It's very simple to me, and it really, as an engineer, this is you'll 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 feel this as well. So I always say diversity plus excellence equals success plus innovation. It's that simple. It, and everything that we do, you know, Troy, as engineers, it's always a team. The more diverse the team, the greater the depth and brevity of ideas to solve the complex problems. So you need all ideas from all constituents of all groups. So when we are doing these, these complex problems in engineering, my experience has yielded that if I make it as diverse and as excellent as possible, I always have the most innovative and successful solution. So I have used that as the way that is true for the entire institution, not just from an engineer's perspective, but it's true in everything that we do. And there are many accountants examples that one could use. So when you start there, it tends to have the conversation lead to easier discussions. And then if we do that in the backdrop of one of the most seminal years in the history of the human race, which is 2020, with all of the injustices that we saw, it's easy to have these conversations now. So I think we're in this one moment as we were in the civil rights era, as we were during Jim Crow, as an opportunity to move the nation and move universities and institutions to a better plateau where it's more equitable, more inclusive and all voices are valued. And this is one of those moments in time and we're seizing that moment at the University of Maryland to be a better place for all. 
I love it, man. I love it. And on your point, just again, as, as an investor, I have this conversation with, uh, with a ton of uh, venture capitalists. I say, and mostly it's all white males. It's a white male dominated industry. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, there's an industry out there that has bio, life sciences, chemistry, marketing, brand. You know what it's called? Black women's hair care. Black women's hair is a multi-billion dollar business that's got all the elements. Sure and you know what? It's the most one of the most fragmented multi-billion dollar businesses out there. And do you know why none of you are in it? It's because none of you, there's not a black woman sitting here that's that that so there's no experiential to your yes. point. There's no right. experience to understand that this is a billion dollar market that has all the elements that you have in all the other markets you invest in, but because you don't have that person at the table. Yeah, you can't you can't make that decision to be in that market. You are one hundred and thousand one hundred percent correct. I mean, and it's very simple. Like I, I think like that's a great example, though, Troy. I think it's a great example. And the reason why is because what you're showing to people, and it's pretty obvious. Like you, this is a real industry. It is a multi-billion-dollar industry. But those people are not in your network, and therefore you can't hear their voices. But if they were in your network, or you had someone that represented that particular you know, um, demographic group, then you hear a new voice, you hear some new ideas that you didn't know about, and you see a new way to think about a solution to a problem. But those voices have to be at the table. And that means they have to be in the boardroom. They have to be part of the private equity firm. They have to be in the C-suite. And these are all the things that we have to evolve to in our levels of inclusivity, because all people bring good ideas to the broader problems that we're facing. And they bring unique, innovative solutions that if you don't have them at the table, you don't see because you can't see everything. You, you see the world through one prism. Someone else sees it through a different prism. So that example of women's health, black women's health care or, or hair care is one of, is an excellent example as the example of a black men's barber barbershops. And it's very similar. And so I think you're absolutely right, 100 percent right. But it's all about being at the table so that you can have more innovative solutions and be able to address the concerns of a broader population. And to your point, you, to me, I, you start the conversation like you did with your math equation with there, there is opportunity. And let's be blunt, there's money to be made. Uh, absolutely. You know, there's money to be made. And you start with that. And then you deal, you, you work your way back to, okay, how do you get into that? Well, you got to have somebody who has an, who can appreciate the market and can help you think about that. Market. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Well, look, man, I, again, I, we could go on and on. I, 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 um, we may have to have a part two. You may be my first part two. We have to figure that out. But uh, look, if, to, to, the, to our listeners, I would really encourage you. I mean this sincerely. If you haven't had a chance to go to the, the, the to either to his LinkedIn site or to the president's bio page at the University of Maryland's website, you will see a, a great journey. That's, I want folks to really understand your journey You know that you've made through your academic career, your professional career, uh, obviously being a dean and now being a president. You, people don't know you've actually worked in a federal lab, federal, federal, federal facility uh, before. So I, I think it's important for particularly for young black engineers who are seeing the journey that, as I say all the time, as engineers, Gary and I talk about this all the time, as engineers, undergraduate, there's so we're in so many other disciplines outside of pure engineering because we're taught to solve a problem right at the end of the day we are taught to solve a problem and we're not afraid of the numbers those two things will let you go into just about anything absolutely totally agree i mean you know there's no i mean i don't you know there are great other fields but the problem solving skills that are given by engineering um helps you look at COVID 19 as a risk management problem as a as a risk management problem with solutions 
Um, when others will say, well, it's too complex, I'm not gonna touch that problem. Uh, you're not fearful. Um, failure is, is embraced uh, you because go. you get smarter as you fail. Um, so, um, but you know, we're here to talk about, you know, the opportunities there are for all people to be successful. And it's important to include everyone in the pie um, for the whole society to be successful. And so we have an opportunity through our organizations to advance um, innovation and the ecosystem and economic development for the entire state of Maryland and for all kinds of communities. And we look forward you know, to partnering with you, Troy, um, on a number of, of, of issues that you start uh, venturing into high school as well. I know you yep. have some, some interest yep. in doing that. Yep. And we hope to partner with you and, and create those, those future entrepreneurs that no one would have imagined that they would have been the entrepreneurs of the future. Amen, man, brother. Amen, amen. Again, I can't thank you enough for all you do. Thank you for being here today, obviously, but thank you for teaching. I look forward to getting together. We we got to break some bread and get together. And Indeed. once we get, get past all this, we got to get together here soon. So thank you all for listening. We, again, we continue to get great, great reviews and great commentary and folks from across the globe. So we appreciate it. Uh, again, this is Troy Lamel Stovall, the CEO of Techco. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening and a special thank you to our guest, President Daryl Pines, for joining in today's discussion. For more information on TEDCO and its activities, check us out at www.tedcomd.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, consider sharing and subscribing to TEDCO Talks.